0: Namaskar. Hello and welcome to P. Guru's channel. I'm your host, Sri Ayar. Today we have a fantastic panel of guests, and we're going to talk about the study that they have conducted, whether there is Hindu phobia. They've used social media as their first platform because it lends itself to computational um, uh, checking and so on and so forth. You can use computers and algorithms to find out if there is any merit in this and uh, to To go further, I would like to first introduce our August panel of guests, starting with Dr. Joel Finkelstein, uh, director of NCRI and uh, Prasidha Sudhakar, who actually co-authored this document and uh, also Nikun Srivedi, the president of Kona. Gentlemen and lady. Welcome to p Guru's channel. It's such an honor to have all of you here. And once again, thank you for taking the time out of from out from your busy schedules to talk to us. Namaskar.
1: Namaste. Namaste.
0: Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Finkelstein, you're the director of NCRI. What prompted you to take up this study, sir?
2: Well, so the NCRI is an organization that uses scaled machine learning analyses to detect threats that are emerging from the cyber social domain and that could impact vulnerable communities. So our our analysis and the tools that we use are really not specific to this issue. By and large, we've cut our teeth on issues ranging from vaccine reluctance and the damage that that presents to threats against disinformation threats against capital markets, right? So the tools that we use in combination with some of the largest corporations in the world, from Walmart to Google, really aren't focused on any one specific hate, but they're there to, to create a mechanism through which we can detect these things before they emerge into the real world. I didn't know anything about Hindu phobia. Um, and one of the things that I came to understand through the prism of the data and the analysis of our research is that that's not unique to me. It would appear this is really a hatred that very few people have learned to detect or even believe exists. And so I think our analysis showed why that might be the case. A lot of the mythology that pertains to Hindus is highly coded. Extremist communities that pertain to Hindus, they had they tend to use dense language and jokey language or memes. These are often very hard to understand, or or, or uh, even when you see the language, it's hard to know what they mean by it. Because it seems plausibly like it could just be a joke, and the language is, is structured in a weird way. So... What our tools do is they detect the prominence of code words. They look at their spread as a contagion across different communities. They analyze the key networks and groups that spread that, these disinformation narratives, and then they decode the language so that we can better grasp and detect it, just like an immune system. So in identifying these, the, the, the trends that we saw spiking online, once we were able to look at the code words and find ways of detecting them quantitatively and dissecting them. We noticed that they had been rising steadily for the past several years on different social media communities. And these aren't just the normal normal suspects of subcultural forums that harbor extremist groups. Sure, those places were bursting forward with with this anti-Hindu material, but we also saw it growing on Twitter and other mainstream communities being promoted by these extremist groups in ways that appear to have gone beyond detection. So that's really the, the way that I came to Hinduphobia is through the, is through the data. I, I, know nothing, I knew nothing about this before, before the data sort of showed me its prominence. And that suggests to me that we have an education
0: issue on our hands. Absolutely, Dr. Fickelstein. Now, um, before I uh, invite our uh, next guest, Prasidha, I just wanted you to share with us some of the key findings. I'll I tell you one thing that blew me away, sir. The, I did not know that there was a social media network called 4CHAN uh-huh. until this week. Yeah. This is the second time I'm seeing this. There was another uh, uh, report that I covered about Hunter Biden's uh, stuff. So mm-hmm. totally different uh, uh, t- topic here. But 4chan is a social media platform of the extremist views. I didn't know that. Now, yeah. what are the key findings of this, and then we can go to Prasida.
2: Well, I think the analysis showed that 4chan, Telegram, uh, a number of other kind of uh, more marginal subcultural and extremist forums have been developing a, this coded language and mythology around Hindus, and that this this activity has been spiking on these communities for the past several years. Now, when we see this kind of spiking activity, it's worth noting that the Network Contagion Lab at Rutgers, which trains in identification and forecasting of, of cyber social threats, that, that when we see this kind of spiking activity, it's often precedent to real world activity, yes, right? Yeah. We've seen that over and over again with anti semitic activity, with the rise of, of apocalyptic militia groups murdering the law enforcement, to disinformation in, in capital markets the early signatures that we see in the social cyber domain are often precedent signals that lead to the growth of these activities in ways that we can usefully detect ahead of time. When we saw these signals, that is precisely what they appeared to be to me, right? And that's just from the standpoint of understanding something about threat detection. So in working with Priscilla, who is our, one of our, our, uh, one of the, the, the initially one of the students, now she's employed by the network contagion lab as an analyst, She came out of our training program. And when we began looking at the signals that she was detecting and kind of directed the research to sort of more exhaustively uncover and trace these kinds of activities, we thought to ourselves, this is definitely something that looks very similar to the kinds of surges in activity we've seen preceding other kinds of of explosive hates. We see state actors using it, right, which is par for the course in extremist material when states find useful uh, hatreds. They use them not necessarily because they're motivated by hate, although sometimes they are, but because they serve a key geostrategic purpose. So when you see hates being manipulated like that in order to incite activity on the real world, to create distrust, to gain and sow distrust for political advantage, you're no longer at, at, the, at the point that you're, you're staring down a hate that's driven by street-level mobs. You're staring down a hate that has geostrategic implications globally. So we, so when we came to these, these, this all surprised me. I didn't know or, or understand the depth that of, 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 of this, but I'll say this, two days after the report came out, there was actually an incident in Washington state where a lawmaker sitting US Congresswoman had someone standing outside of her home repeating some of the tropes that we had seen in, in a lot of the subcultural forums that we analyze, right? And so literally two days after this report comes out, you have Hindu phobic tropes with an individual carrying a gun outside of a U.S. lawmaker's house. Who's Hindu and repeating those tropes. This is not the first time that's happened to the network contagion lab. This is par for the course. And so I think that we're already seeing the real world implications for the diaspora community. We're seeing that as, as tensions are rising on the mainland, we need to keep an eye on this because what we're, what we know from experience in the world today, and as people who advocate for reality, is that what happens when a butterfly flaps its wings in China, that you could see currents ending up all over the world. And that's what the internet really allows, an unpredictable growth of of ethnic hatred and, and conflict.
0: Um, thank you so much, Dr. Finkelstein. I think the Congresswoman that you're referring to is Pramila Jayapal. And yesterday, on a different hangout, I had expressed my support to her. Uh, ideologically, I may not agree with some of her stance, but as as a Congresswoman, she is a representative of the uh, of, of the people, and she needs to be accorded the full security that you would give to any other person in her stature. It was very unfortunate that some of the findings that came down. She is feeling that she's probably not adequately protected. I hope that that there's a rethink on that one, and and let's uh, move on to the uh, next speaker, Prasida. Um, welcome back to Piguru's channel. The first word that blew me away in this report was Paji with a T at the end. You know, Paji means <laughs> elder brother respectfully in in Punjabi, the little Punjabi that I know. When did elder brother respectfully said? become a cuss word for, to denote a Hindu, how did you stumble upon this?
1: So this all began when um, basically before we actually quantitatively looked at you know, the spread of certain ethnic slurs on social media, we performed open source intelligence collection. And what that means is we manually went through Twitter and other social media platforms to start looking for very specific anti-Hindu slurs and memes. And when I was looking at a lot of the memes, some of them um, did appear in the report. For example, the very openly violent and genocidal ones calling for violence and, and killing of Hindus in very murderous ways. And I saw all of these represented as memes. But one thing I noticed that was in common with all of these memes was that ethnic slur. And so when I examined where exactly is this slur coming from, what is the origins of it, I found that this actually comes from 4chan. So 4chan um, basically started this slur for Indians and they had basically used it as a mockery for Indian and Hindu names predominantly. And from our wider qualitative analysis, we found that this wasn't just about like anti-Indian hatred. All of these four chancellors and memes that were being used had anti-Hindu tropes. Like, for example, they use memes with a supposed Indian person, but that Indian person would always have a bindi or like a tilak. And there'd be very explicit Hindu imagery. So we see that this anti-Indian... Xenophobia is actually Hindu phobia in this specific case, because of all of these like very openly Hindu symbolism that is being used in the memes. Yes. So these definitely did uh, originate on 4chan and we see that, you know, maybe it originated in 4chan back in 2014, 2015 time. But the real spillovers into Twitter um, have only been very recently, ever since 2019, up to now, where it's at an all time high.
0: Um <clears throat> You, you're absolutely spot on. Uh, I did not know that Twitter uh, is allowing a lot of nasty stuff. Um, and uh, somebody pointed me out, said that use these hashtags: Hindu women, Hindu uh, four-letter word. You understand where I'm coming from? There, there are some very explicit videos on Twitter that is available for everybody to see. What kind of filtering these guys are doing? I don't know. And and then. Uh, Mr. Jack has to go to New Delhi, and somebody sticks a poster in his hand, and it says "Smash Brahmin Patriarchy." I don't know if he even understood what he was trying to, you know, what what he was putting up. Dr. Finkelstein, <laughs> to 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 uh, add to what you said, there is a statement made by a senior party member of a southern state, where this person has called for genocide of Brahmins. Wow. He wants to ethnically cleanse Brahmins of one state where the population is less than one percent. I mean, yeah. you go to any village in that state, you'll find one family, one and a half family, that kind of stuff. And and yes. who knows if somebody gets hot, they'll just go and finish them off.
2: Well, sir, what I would say is that, you know, if it's possible to share my screen, I'm not sure it is here. But
0: No, 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 we can. We can. Um, okay. uh, you, you just go click on uh, share and then uh, uh, choose. OK, great.
2: So yeah. I'm going to share my screen. Yeah. And I'll show you guys. I think you can see this.
0: Yeah. Look, it's coming these,
2: up. Yeah. Look yeah. at these memes. I mean, yes. you have Nazi imagery with this Pepe the Frog character. It's very cartoonish. Yeah, what, what you know, this this propaganda was adapted from anti Semitism. And it was adapted by white supremacists, this frog Pepe, who we have been featured in documentaries regarding. It's a fascinating meme. Um, you know, is genociding a, a hint someone who's clearly a Hindu. And not just in India, it's, it's very clearly a Hindu. So there's a couple of things to notice here. First of all, you have white supremacist memes that are being adopted and a hybridization of different hates that and this is on open air on Twitter. Right? This is this is on, you know, and, and then you have that kind of propaganda being promoted, taken from white supremacists, being shared with Islamist extremist groups. And you have hybridization of hatreds in addition to the hybridization of their targets, right? that's very elaborate look at this you want to talk about i mean l- this literally happened right yes
0: so, yes yes
2: so so this is so i think that i think that like when i when we talk about precedent signals it's very clear that these aren't jokes and and that this this gets you you're asking how could twitter kind of allow this to happen how how is it that they would permit these kinds of memes to circulate in the open air because they don't do this for many groups right if this were about Jews, and you saw that that circulating with Jews, or you saw these the, the material kind of like you know, uh, doing with other groups that are vulnerable, black people, it would be taken out in an instant. So to me, I think that that at issue is is the education. But the platforms need to understand that this really is on the rise and that they're vulnerable communities, and people are going to get hurt. And and I think that 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 the platforms have an obligation to take these material seriously but also to be honest with you you know because because the, the, the value i think of the approach that we're taking to to these kinds of problems is that everybody benefits from transparency when it's done it correctly is. we all benefit from from the truth the truth is something that we that protects everyone who tries to protect it that's what's amazing about the truth so my sense is that like when we're looking at these kinds of means what i just showed you you can tell me all day long that this is about something else. That and, and the truth of the matter is, the truth is right in front of us, right? That's. I think that the platforms need to be held accountable, and we need to we need to be able to show these trends independent of them, because the truth is bigger than them, and they need to the answer to that.
0: Absolutely, uh, Dr. Finkelstein, I couldn't agree with you more. Viewers, we are taking questions. Please put hashtag ask. NCRI. And, uh, please stay on topic. It, the report that they have put out is very crisp. It's got a lot of data in it, less than 20 pages long. If if you could just ask specific questions from that report, that would really help us expand on this. We have the co-author, we have the director of NCRI, and we have uh, Nikunj Trivedi. Uh, apologies, Nikunj, for waking, making you wait this long. But I have a very weighty question for you, sir. I read the report. And one of the findings—I'm not saying this is the only finding. One of the findings is they found a marked co- um, uh, resemblance or, or, or correlation of a lot of tweets Hindu phobic coming from of all countries, Iran. And these these tweets actually seem to make it originate from India and Pakistan. So you see the thing: somebody from a different country is putting together the tweets. Then they are using VPN and dark web or whatever it is to try and make these tweets originate from other countries. So, this is a very dangerous trend. I'm not saying this does not exist in other places. Nikunj, what do you make of it? And since Kona is so involved at the university level, what are your thoughts on how we go about combating this?
3: Sure. And thank you again for having me um, along with Joel and Prasidha. You know, the question that you raised was very surprising to me, My like when I was reading the report, because that popped up. So I was like, wow, state-sponsored actors from Iran are doing this. I think, I mean, again, you know, there are a lot of geopolitical battles that are fought at a very high level. And some of these are part of that, right? Whether it's uh, sort of like whether a country like Iran is thinking that U.S. is aligning with India. Uh, there are other, you know, Islamist connections between the Iranian government, as well as the players that are over here. Uh, as well as in Pakistan. So there's a lot that can go on um, in this particular battle. And if you look at the the sort of the, the, the rise of the tweets, right, uh, and the, the, the hate, it starts in 2019. And if you follow Indian geopolitics, right, you have essentially two very important decisions that were made at that time. The abrogation of Article 370 and CAA, right, both had a, a, a sort of like a uh, I would say, huge like splash um across the neighborhood in uh, in india right so there is very specific disinformation i feel that was generated to show this this sort of what they call quote what hindu nationalist and i'll come to that in a second because that's another thing that's really important this quote hindu nationalist government that is out to you know kill minorities to take out other types of minorities and we just had just uh, you know, congressional um, sort of like this, and the 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 Human Rights Commission, the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission, had a whole thing about like how uh, you know India is genociding or you know Muslims and killing minorities, things things like that. So this is all connected. So this kind of narrative building is happening, and and then it comes into policy making, right? So the idea is to showcase the ent- entire population of Hindus as genocidal as people who are out to get minorities and there is no space, breathing space, literally, for these sort of minorities. And of course, Muslims are at the top. So there is this creation of this idea that Hindus are bad and everybody else is being oppressed. Now, that piece is, if you go to India, yes, for years, and I've lived in India, of course, when I was a kid, but for years, India has had Hindu, Muslim, different types of riots, right? But there has been riots of different types. There is no mass genocide of yeah. like Muslims happening or things like that in India. But there's this idea that it's anytime, it's going to happen anytime. And I can tell you, staying in America, there are legitimate organizations in America, whether it's at the policy level or at, at legitimate nonprofits whose job, whose entire business is to create this idea that a genocide is, is imminent. Okay, so it's completely bypassing. If the Supreme Court decides to acquit someone, they are questioning the Supreme Court of India. If yeah. the government decides to ta- put together some policies that are beneficial to minorities, well, they're questioning that too because there's this sort of this idea of Hindu nationalist takeover that wants to take out all the minorities, right? That's the kind of narrative and these tweets are really pushing that. So that was one of the very interesting things that I found in the report. The other piece that I saw was the specific explicit usage of Hindu imagery, right? And, and which clearly shows as Prasita and, and Dr. Joel Finkelstein mentioned, that the target is Hindus, uh, whether you're talking about the you know the, the choke, right? Um, very very clear imagery to show. And by the way, a similar choke was shown by a, a Muslim organization in America during the dismantling Global Hindu Talk conference in September of 2021, where they basically showed uh, various Hindu organizations choking a Muslim uh, guy. And you can you can see why because they're Hindu because they're showing like the RSS, and then there's a line of other Hindu organizations behind it that are, you know, essentially condoning such behavior, right? So this powerful imagery is circulating on Twitter as well. So th- there's like, there's so many different connections. Uh, so the impact of this and the implications of this for students and adults alike is tremendous because you could, as you had mentioned earlier, and we don't me- necessarily agree with Dr. Pra- I mean, uh, Pramila Jayapalji, but we you know respect her right to exist and respect her right to be protected. Mm-hmm. So we fully yeah. support that. Uh, but you can see what is happening is that there are real life consequences Raja Krishnamurti was almost attacked outside his uh, you know his office with certain people who have such tendencies you have people who like uh, me and others even prasidha and many others who have faith, whos who get like death threats or emails and basically who want to get you know silence us in many ways so on campuses students are scared to really come up and say hey yo I'm a Hindu uh, in November of 2021 uh, there was a group at uc davis that put out a whole thing of why you should not celebrate diwali calling hindu, you know, hindu deities as brahminical oppressive deity and you can see that same exact sort of brahminical idea coming out in the word clouds coming out in the the memes that have been in the report so this idea of brahmin supremacy right is being pushed and it's being equated to white supremacy to you know nazis and things like that and Essentially, the, the, our, our community within the broader Hindu community, the Brahmin community, is being constantly targeted to the point that they actually make a mistake and call Parag Agarwal a Brahmin, right? I mean, <laughs> Tanmori Sundarajan of Equality Labs, who's, by the way, she's about to get an award from the South Asian Bar Association. How crazy and ironic is this? Someone spreading blatant Hindu phobia is being awarded by a bar organization, okay, a U.S. Bar Association which is just mind blowing to me. But she heard she made this comment that, you know, this is a Brahmin. So now the idea is all Brahmins are ruling America, right? That's yeah. what they're trying to show. And it's kind of like the same anti-Semitic trope that, you know, Jews are controlling the world. And you look at these Brahmins now doing the same thing. So that meme that you had earlier the, on the first page, Dr. Finkelstein is perfect because it shows like this, the you know, the typical Jewish meme, right? With the long nose, the, you know, the, the sort of like this face exactly like the brahmin so this this type of idea and just to finish on that harvard university a couple of years ago if you remember sri Aayaji, harvard university actually had a book launched by dr ajanta subramaniam at harvard the launch of that book actually showed a brahmin sitting on uh, in a millstone grinding away people okay literally grinding away black figurines in yeah. and putting them on a fire so there's like this fire and millstone and there's a devilish looking figure helping the Brahmin with the millstone. Yep. Okay, this is actually at Harvard University's event. And when we asked them to apologize, they never apologized. Yep. So, this, this information and, and <clears throat> this blatant hatred is very, very prevalent in academia. And I know this report hasn't brought it out, but at some point, it's really worth analyzing what all these academics, the so called South Asian activists, do. And they actively deny Hindu phobia. The South Asian Scholar Activist Collective, SASAC, uh, who, Dr. Audrey Trusky is one of them, a uh, part of that team. They have in their um, uh, manual, they actually say that Hindu phobia is a word that is manufactured by the Hindu right, essentially.
2: Yeah. So sure. it, this is the kind of dangerous stuff that we, can, we are up against. So I want to say something about that specifically. Go ahead. Is that... I don't really know anything about Dr. Trusky's work. I know nothing about the South Asian scholars. Really, I I never heard of them until last week. So, you know, but but with the field that we we are developing at Rutgers and the training that we do is a fundamentally different discipline that that focuses on cyber threat detection. It's quantitative and data-driven and it's about ultimately protecting vulnerable communities from what we perceive to be imminent threats. On that basis, I'm quite confident that what we're seeing represents a threat. It's unmistakable. And I think that, that's that that issue is when people say it doesn't exist, and I, I'm not, I don't know who these people are, and I don't know what the, the reasons for saying that are, what motivations might be behind that. But I think that that would contradict the data. And I also think that, that that's unfair to the communities who really probably do need to increase the protection that, they, that they're affording themselves in the diaspora and otherwise from something that could genuinely harm them. And I think that when we have a conversation about about how about how vulnerable communities can take pragmatic steps to procure their safety and the safety of their members, that shouldn't be an argument about, you know, the way people feel necessarily about, you know, about what, whatever issues there are. I think we need to have a brass tacks conversation about how we can keep people safe, because if we can't do that, there's no other discussions to have. Yep. Because so think, sorry, no, sorry. no, please finish. Oh, so I mean that's I, I just I just wanted to say that like the, these are very different frameworks, you know, for approaching for approaching these issues. So I'm I'm just not familiar with Dr. Trusky's frameworks or or the scholarship in that field. That that's not we look at you know we look at vaccine reluctance and we look at people dying. We look at disinformation. We look at at people losing fortunes at, on on markets. We're looking at at the rise of apocalyptic cults and threats to law enforcement. I mean. So, you know, really our, our discipline is focused on evaluating threats in terms of cost to human life and, and looking at hate as hate. And, um, and I think that like, when we start getting into like, you know, it's like, you know, there's something really similar. And with the, with the threat of right-wing violence, which we have studied, I mean, we are very, very akin to this. We, we know we, we have produced some of the most important volumes. I'm not patting myself on the shoulder. I'm, I'm saying we really have produced, you know, some incredibly important and far reaching work on the spread of white supremacy and right wing, extraordinary, like, extraordinary, like hyper nationalism. Well, that is a problem. It is definitely a problem, but it goes without saying that, that a lot of the times people paint for political reasons, everybody with that brush. And that's really a problem. And you know, what's, what's really funny is it's a problem for the people who use it that way because they're creating the enemy, they're fighting. Right. And, and what happens is you, if, you, if you paint everyone who disagrees with you as a complete demon and a monster, then you're going to get the monster you disagree with. And so the, 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 the point is that if you really hate the hyper nationalist stuff that endangers people, we need to be looking for ways to reach across the aisle to find out who we can speak to. Right. Yeah. Because those are the people who are going to help us push back against those people. Right. So I think this, I think that this this, you know, empathy, but courage, courage, but empathy, you know, the courage to to, to reach across, to, to speak to people, I'll speak to anyone about this. You know, we're, we're not an organization that has that that wears any ethnic hat or or does any of that stuff. We really see the common the common courtesy and the common need for us to protect a common truth. We are advocating for reality as best we can. And you know what? We can do that better together. I guarantee it. Yeah, no, I uh,
0: agree. Uh, one, one second before I yield the floor to you Nikunj. Dr. Finkelstein I have a couple of questions from your opening statement that I'll come back to in just a minute. We have three or four questions so we may have a little bit more time to talk about this topic overall. So I'm going to come right back to you after uh, yielding the floor to Nikunj and then I have one question for Prasidha. Nikunj go ahead. No I, I agree with
3: you and, and see that the point is what is really important here is that uh, we have seen this actually transform into hate right so there are two incidents that i want to talk about the, the, the report opens up with dot busters right so dot busters idea was created because hindus were shown as this privileged people who are taking jobs away of other people right within jersey city and i have family and friends who have who were directly impacted and assaulted in this so you know i'm coming in from experience not personal experience but you know the collective family and friends experience and I know people today have bad memories, like traumatic memories of that episode. So that's number one. The second thing is uh, in, uh, in the Midwest, I'm forgetting exactly which state it was, uh, Indiana or something, there was a white supremacist. They actually videotaped a playground, okay, of Hindu kids, as well as well, women and children who are, I mean, women and men just sitting around saying, look at these Indians and look at these Hindus who are now coming here and taking over. And it was actually put on on social media. Now, remember, all it takes, what does it take, right? As you mentioned, all it takes is some crazy lunatic just going in and just shooting up, right? Because they learned from social media that these these are the types of privileged people. Now, let me tell you something, two more things, right? Someone like Ann Coulter attacked a Hindu woman. uh, 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 You know, you can have political differences, not a problem. But she basically very clearly, you know, used Hindu words and the caste system. Okay, so this and uh, this idea, and that's again in the word cloud that you have. The idea of caste is connected to this. So to somehow caste, this whole idea is that you know Hindus are casteist and they discriminate against all these people, and then they they need to be eliminated. In 2019, University of Michigan held a conference where a where a, well, where one of the panelists called for wholesale destruction of Hinduism because Hinduism cannot be uh, reformed and therefore it must be destroyed in order for you know, the world to be safe. Okay. And this is actually covered in Michigan Daily, the newspaper. Believe me, this is the stuff that is happening on campuses. So while there is violent thoughts that are going on in the, um, you know, outside, the problem is we haven't, we haven't looked at what's going on in academia and how academia actually produces this type of hate and cancel culture.
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's an open question. I mean, I think, listen, it's much bigger than than anti-Hindu hate. I mean, this is this is something that we, we're seeing that you know the ratio of liberals to conservatives in the modern university, and in some disciplines it's seventy to one. I'm not kidding, you know. And and in the humanities, for instance, right. So there's a polarization that has set into the university. This is absolutely indisputably true, that has set the grounds for kind of you know the the a, a kind of bias to set in, and the universities I think are beginning to understand that you know that, that there's a set of ideologies and tropes that are kind of accepted within the university space that do not are really distortion they're, they're distortionary. I mean it's it's clear that that's that's the case. So I think that that's a much bigger problem than than what's happening with any one hatred that is that's generated from that. What I would say is that like you know let's try to figure out how we can be the adults in the room. You know whatever else is true, Hinduism has been around for oh, I don't know six thousand years. years. Perhaps more <laughs> for <laughs> a long time. And, and you know, the truth of the matter is, there are a lot of people who don't feel it should be. And the same is true for many religions like Christianity. And people say the same thing about that. I think that, like, when it comes to being the adults in the room, it, a lot of this has to do with a felt sense of internal security. You know, and it, it starts with a sense that these people really aren't going to be able to dismantle Christianity or Hinduism or, or whatever it is. Now, starting from this, the idea that we're all going to be sharing this planet for a long time to come, God willing, you know, let's have a, let's have a conversation and and let's try to understand what those projections are like. You know, people say that the, that the Christian nationalist right is taking over the world and dominating these things. Look, we we all know, everyone knows that like behind the behind the bit of chauvinism, there's a bite of truth to some of those things. It's not totally true; it's distorted, but there's a bite of truth to it. So how do we find that internally in a secure way, talk about it openly, air out some of the dirty laundry, but with the, with the notion that we can make, you know what, we can handle it. We're, we're, we're old enough. We've been here long enough. We can have the responsible conversation. We don't have to return fire. We really don't. You know, so I think that that's like, you know, when, when, you know now why, why is that an important approach? Because there's some people who agree with everything I just said. And whoever those people are, they're going to be more convinced about the validity of my project and and what it is I'm trying to, what I'm trying to suggest to them, you know, on the basis of, of extending that courtesy to them as people, they actually have something valuable to say. Maybe it's something I don't want to hear, right? But if it's really not true, I have nothing to worry about. And if there's a bite of truth to it, I'm better off hearing it right now. I know that that sounds impossible because the conversations we've been having have become impossible. Cause they're all about trying to demonize the other person who you're afraid is trying to demonize you. Okay. When it comes to these truth telling conversations, you know, we have to start having more courage. We have to be able to, like, I would love to have a conversation with the people who hate me. I'd love nothing more than to actually have that conversation. We're not having enough of them. And the result is that instead of having conversations we're taking aim at each other with like, it, you know, it plays out like a bad, it plays out like bad theater we all become the memes we all become swept up in the memes we become a meme okay and and so we're not memes we're human beings really i know i know i know some of us don't like to think so <laughs> 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 but, but it's real but you know the biggest problem we face guys and i i love this show this is such a this is such an interesting show you never get to have these kinds of conversations about these problems in depth like you need to so this is great you know what i would say is The biggest problem we have is that we can't look past the MAGA and the BLM. We can't look past, like as soon as someone puts out that hashtag, like that's who they are. You know, and, and the result is we become possessed by that. And you know what the problem is? It's not about how powerful the demons are that we're worried about. When we're worried about how powerful these demons are, it's a, it's an emptying of our own agency that's taking place. We're completely losing ourselves. We are the ones doing this. We'd like to point to the memes and say it's them and it's the bad guys on the other side. It's not true. The people who are acting in an uncivil way, that's us too. And we have to figure out how we can, we can reach that place where we can get past using our guns and start using our words because it really is coming to that. And I'm, and I'm yeah. afraid to say, I'm afraid to say that, that there is not going to be a replacement for us using our words. We're not going to replace that. We're going to have to do that with each
0: other. Um, Dr. Finkelstein, I have a couple of questions for you. Just hold the thought where you just left now, because my question will be going straight to that one. But before I come back to you, sir, I have a question for Prasida. Prasida, you are in a college campus and, and you worked on this project for, I don't know how many months. Talk us through a little bit about how you got involved in this project, how you see the atmosphere around you, and and uh, maybe you can shed a little bit of light about some of the surprising findings that came out.
1: Sure, so first of all, I'm, I'm very honored um, for all of the authors of this paper, it really means a lot. So we had Dr. Lee Jessum from the, uh, the chair of the Rutgers psychology department, um, John Farmer, who's the former attorney general of New Jersey, as well as former Congressman- Yeah, Dennis his,
0: his forward is very powerful. His foreword is very powerful. Go ahead, please.
1: Yeah, so it's really amazing to have everyone come together to work on such an impactful report that Joel and both Nikunji has uh, mentioned that this is definitely a topic that's vastly understudied. So like I said, we began with open source intelligence collection and analysis, where we began to identify certain code words and terms. And then what we did is we actually applied computational methods to this analysis. So we actually looked at the trends of these certain terms and slurs over time on more fringe communities um, like 4chan, Gab and Telegram, and then started to look at how these terms were starting to being used on, on Twitter. And so we also developed natural language processing techniques that we applied to the data that we had, where we looked at what are the tropes associated with these anti-Hindu slurs and terms. And that's what we call a topic network. So we, when we look at the topic network, we see very explicitly anti-Hindu tropes that are being used. And like Joel has mentioned, there's um, very similar. There's a lot of similarities in the hatred between um, anti-Semitism and also some of the trends that I saw was uh, very similar to anti-Asian hate and also Islamophobic tropes that are present on uh, 4chan and Gab and other communities. And so we examined that um, on the more fringe web platforms. And then we also looked at Iranian state-sponsored trolls. And I know there was a lot of discussion about, like how did we come to that? Um, other people have definitely asked me that. Well, Twitter has an information operations data set, so all of this is publicly available. We examined that data to take a look at more than 1 million tweets from state-sponsored Iranian trolls. Um, and we found that in many cases, Iranian trolls were pretending to be authentic Pakistani accounts. And um, some of them had actually accumulated more than 50,000 followers. They oh, were my goodness. Yeah, so they were pretending to be um, supporters of Imran Khan and part of his like political party. And in fact, they were all Iranian accounts. Uh-huh. And they had basically put their user-reported location on Twitter to like Lahore and Rawalpindi and, and all of these places and said that they were Pakistani users. And the interesting thing is they did the same for... Uh, for India. So they had pretended to be in New Delhi, Mumbai, and all of these other places where they would basically like tweet at each other, um, basically using anti-Hindu disinformation to stoke uh, tensions between various communities. And one other thing that we found that was very, very interesting is that in several cases, Iranian state-sponsored trolls were pretending to be human rights activists and journalists who were sitting in New Delhi and operating on, uh, talking about, you know, actual violence that has taken place on the ground, and tagging all of these various um news media outlets like cnn msnbc and saying hey please you know i'm a human rights activist please condemn india right now Yeah. and so it's it, this is very very covert influence that we have uncovered in this research
2: yeah and i think that goes to the point priscilla and I'm, I'm so proud of the work that you've done on this and it's really really remarkable but it goes to the point that we were making earlier about the way that hate wears our faces and that becomes something that like is not just a nice philosophical idea it has geostrategic implications because it can reliably, it can reliably puppeteer behavior. Before I got into this work, what I did was literally I was a neuroscientist at Princeton, and I was using laser beams to control the minds of animals so that can reverse engineer the brain and determine how behavior works. And we were putting animals in virtual reality to understand sort of like how does the brain work to, 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 do, to process stimuli and make decisions. And you can manipulate that process by beaming in information. Okay. So that's exactly how social media
0: works. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Fin- Dr. Finkelstein, I-, I have a question here, sir. See, yes. what has happened with social media being so popular? We almost all of us wake up to one platform or the other. The first thing we do, I mean, you know, the, what has it, what has a, because we might have posted something, we want to see the response, but what I'm afraid we have created is silos you know yeah. silos and echo chambers now these things we just keep on enhancing amplifying your point of view to the point where somebody sees i got to do something about it i want to act on this so this is the real danger that social media uh, you know poses to the whole society at large dr finkelstein my request to you sir is is this just one edition or are you going to have more editions that's oh, one no, question oh there's
2: a lot more work coming there's okay. a lot more wonderful. This. So wonderful. I think that we are at the beginning of of our our uh, sort of a field building exercise that uses quantitative methods to understand the history, longevity, and and the multifaceted nature of of numerous kinds of hates. Um, and I think that that the work we're doing with uh, with Hindu it's been very eye opening to me. I mean, I, I certainly feel like I have have received a huge amount of education. And to some extent, I have to admit, I feel a little bit embarrassed at how little I knew. You know, so I think that 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 if that's true for me, who's who and it's nominally my job to know these things. So if that's true for me, I can only imagine that must be true for other people. There's a real education issue here, and there's also there also, I think, is a scholarship issue that the invisibility, both from the standpoint of the scholarship, the standpoint of the education, You know, there's there's a way in which this story has been very very muffled. It would it would appear for a very long time, Um, and I think that that, to to really effectively break that problem probably requires you know a lot of historical analysis. Probably requires you know a a broader sample of where Hindu phobia manifests, what is and what isn't Hindu phobia, how we how we make that distinction. I think we can be nuanced. I think we can get close to that, and I think we can help people. Better detect when you know we've gone beyond the foul line, and when we're sort of in line with reasonable. You know, wh- what's the difference between dislike and just dis- hate? Right, there is a difference. People are entitled to dislike Hinduism. They're entitled to dislike you know a lot of things, but you know we we know that there is such a thing as as, uh, as you know as, as baseless ethnic hatred. And you know, th- so I think that's where we can we can really look at that and and try to find more principled ways of spotting it. And, and uh, detecting it.
0: Uh, Dr. Finkelstein, I have no doubt in my mind that we are going to have this whole panel back again in, in a few weeks' time, whenever <laughs> time permits to discuss more. Today, because some of you have to leave, I want to just take some questions now. Uh, let's go ahead and have some questions, and then we can call it a wrap. Uh, Jordan Peterson recently published... Uh, this is from Mr. Lee. Jordan Peterson recently published a video titled Message to Muslims, promoting unity among the people of Abrahamic faiths. What anomalous spikes have you observed after this video?
2: That's a great question. Um, I I would be happy to look into that. We haven't done any analysis on what's happened with Dr. Peterson's recent message and recent video. it was a very interesting and provocative video, certainly. And um, you know, I think that that uh, we we still have. I haven't done the analysis, and so I don't want to speak about what impact it's had without really you know getting close to that first. Uh, but it's Absolutely. actually, yeah. But it's actually to 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 the uh, audience's point. It's emblematic of some of the problems we're having with having conversations because you know Dr. Peterson was kicked off of Twitter for presumably for for violating their their terms of service. And and I think he he named somebody who was transgender as their former name and describing some surgery they had had, and then he was removed from Twitter. Now, if Dr. Peterson, who has a large following of people, can be kicked off of Twitter for this, and and the memes I've showed you are totally fine, yes. <laughs> we have a real problem, right? It, it yes, shows the yes. nature of the problem that we have.
0: Uh, would Prasida or Nikunj like to add to that, Prasida?
1: No, okay. I think Joel uh, said everything.
0: All right. Uh, uh, how about you, Nikunj? Would you like to add to that?
3: No, I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, Dr. Finkelstein's point is right on. That you know, if you can have just one person getting kicked off with of this, not that it was a, a you know to condone, but the point is, there's a lot more gross violations happening, and that's completely being ignored. And that's something that we have to understand. Uh, one one thing that I would add, uh, what Dr. Finkelstein said, he, in the community. See, he does not know about this because the community does not create the opportunities. We're all sleeping, unfortunately, yeah. and other communities have created their you know, spaces, their organizations, their infrastructure to put together and highlight the, the hate that they're facing. Our community is still unfortunately sleeping. So this report hopefully is a wake up call for many of us to understand what we need to do to protect ourselves from real physical violence and our kids ultimately.
0: And I think we have time for one more question and then we'll call it a wrap because it's really cutting close. Uh, Mr. Lee, again, this is a good question. That's why I'm asked uh, from the same person. Can the algorithms be tuned for Indian languages using, I think, natural language processing? How much training data do you need for extending this type of analysis for Indian languages, such as Tamil, Marathi, Bengali, et cetera?
2: Well, um, you know, Dr. Finkelstein, I want, yeah, want Prasida yeah. to, to take a shot at answering this. I'll just say one okay. thing, anyone who's technically adept in natural language processing machine learning, if you're, if you're watching this and you're interested in helping out, please contact Prasida at the Network Contagion Research Institute. And let's get in touch because this is exactly where we want to take these next steps, is getting into other languages, getting into other kinds of, uh, you know, material and groups, ideologies. That's exactly how we do need to expand this.
0: Prasida, go ahead.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's certainly possible. Just the way the data is clean, tokenized. You know, I'm not going to get into too many of the technical computer science uh, lingo here, but but yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's absolutely possible. And there's always um you know opportunities to translate these like lang- these like languages into English and then repeat the process. But yeah, absolutely, it's it's certainly possible.
2: And if there's any so. engineers watching this who feel passionate about the subject, please email info at ncri.io that's info at ncri.io, we'd be happy to to set up a talk and learn what kind of data and approaches you might suggest.
0: My goodness, you guys are absolutely fantastic. You're doing my job for me. Thank you so much. And uh, there you go, that's that's the email address that you need to direct your questions to. And and viewers, this this may sound a little technical, but we really need to know these things because data does not lie. There is a vested interest trying to paint Hindu phobia Trying to paint Hinduism as being something that is really bad when it is not. It's an open source architecture. This is a dharma. This is not a religion. I don't know how many times I have to say this thing because I, my viewers are probably getting tired of this but it means Sanatana dharma means eternal flow. Hinduism is the wrong way to say it, refer to it. It's actually Sanatana dharma but anyway that's okay. Loosely it, they both mean the same thing but thank you once again Dr. Finkelstein, Prasidha and Nikunji Thank you so much for coming together at such short notice because this is important start that we have made today. We are gonna be coming back and revisiting this as more data emerges. Thank you once again and namaskar. Thank you so much. Take care, have a great Uh day.
1: Great, thank you.